This time on Novell Open Audio, Erin gets an overview of OpenSUSE 10.3 from Martin Larsach. He also learns about the history of the OpenSUSE project from a slew of SUSE developers, this time on Novell Open Audio. Welcome to Novell Open Audio, the podcast that connects the Novell user community with what's going on inside and around the Novell universe. I'm your host, Aaron Quill. And I'm David Mayer. And Dave, we've got cool and exciting news today. Do you know what it is? I have no idea. I have now gone one year injury-free. You don't know how excited I am. I was looking at the calendar, and I realized it has been a year since I've broken an arm, taken out a shoulder, strained a muscle, or anything, and I've still been just as active as I always am. So I, for one, am extremely happy. You've just been laying off the skateboard, haven't you? Uh, No, actually, I've been skating more than I normally do, so uh, that's not it. I'm not sure what it is. Just luck. Nothing more. We do have some other kind of exciting news, which is, of (laughs) course, that OpenSUSE 10.3 shipped this morning. Wonderful. I can't wait to get it installed. (laughs) So, actually, I have. Have you played with it at all? Barely seen it, but the only piece I've seen that was really impressive was KVM running Vista. It's awesome. So I haven't played with that yet, but what I have been playing with is our friend Moosey, who runs Moosey Blogs, has also been, you know, hammering on Myth TV quite a bit. He actually really keeps the SUSEWiki going on the MythTV.org site. So he pinged me a couple weeks ago, asked me if I could help out, take a look, and we want to get this thing totally up and running for 10.3. So I downloaded 10.3, one of the early betas, started to play with it, and I got to tell you, a couple things really caught my eye. First, probably the biggest thing, package management finally just totally rocks. It is so much faster than it was before. That's a good thing. The other thing that was cool on the package management front, I'm a big fan of Smart. And I was excited now that I was actually able to just do a search, find Smart right there in your normal YAS software update module, and install Smart right from YAS. What is Smart? Smart is a very nice alternative package manager. Other cool things that I really liked is the new one-click install. Have you seen that yet? I haven't, but I'm looking forward to seeing that one. Yeah, the the cool thing is, and we talk about it a little bit in this upcoming interview, and we actually have another dedicated interview on it coming down the pipe, but what it allows us to do is, you know when you're out searching for an application, you find something like Myth TV, you go out, you search the internet, you find it, and then it's like, well, somebody set up a repository for that application, so you can get all the dependencies and everything, but you need to go in and manually add the the repository and all that. With single-click install, all of that's gone. Uh, what you have the ability to do is somebody on their page, like right off of their auto builder page, can just put a single button that you click on, and it automatically oh, adds the repository. It's one for click you. from the other side. You're right. Yeah. In the repository, you click in the repository, it gets added. That's sweet. Yeah. I was thinking it was one click from the other side. You're in yes, and I'm thinking, how do you find the package? Yeah. From yeah. one click. Yeah. This That's is beautiful. It was really set up to do one click install of applications, but the side benefit is one click install to set up additional repositories, which again I just absolutely love. But I actually got a chance to go over to the SUSE offices sit down with those guys. We recorded a bunch of different interviews. Uh, We're actually going to listen to two of them in this edition. And the first one that we're going to do, I sat down with uh, one of the evangelists for OpenSUSE 10.3, and we just kind of run through all the top items that uh, are in the package. So why don't we go ahead and listen to that interview with Martin? Let's go. 
Hi, this is Aaron, and today I'm sitting down with Martin, who's an evangelist for OpenSUSE, talking about the new OpenSUSE 10.3 that we just released. Good afternoon, Martin. Uh, hi, Aaron. Yeah. So OpenSUSE 10.3, what can you tell me about it? Oh, a lot. Uh, we have a lot of new stuff in the distribution, and I guess it's interesting for everybody. Yeah, if we can just run through everything in the, in the new distro, that would be great. Oh, everything, yeah, everything. Oh, oh, I guess okay, I... <laughs> well, um, I guess some of the highlights. <laughs> Okay, maybe the first thing we start is with the box, the retail product. So we will have also a retail product for 10.3. We changed a little bit the layout. So uh, if you buy the box product, um, you have two DVDs with over 16 gigabytes of uh, programs with packages. And this is basically the same layout you have on the FTP server. So before we had only one DVD. And of course, we cannot fit all the stuff from the FTP server on uh, one DVD. So we have now two DVDs. On the other hand, we have no CDs anymore. We asked our users and nobody using CD drives anymore. So everybody has a DVD drive. But you can also, of course, download a CD if you want, if you only have a CD drive in a server, maybe. So wait a minute. You just said 16 gigs on two DVD dual-layer DVDs, then? Yes, of course. Okay. And can all drives pretty much read dual-layer? I suppose they have to for movies. Yes, right. this is not a problem. So we never had a problem when we had the first dual-layer DVD with, I don't know which version it was. Before, we had a double-sided DVD, but this is really awkward when you have to turn the DVD and yeah. you cannot see which side it is. So no, dual-layer is not a problem. Okay. It's just tough to record dual-layer at home. Then, right, right, yeah. Okay, and I assume that means then if I go to download the DVD ISOs, they'll actually be four DVD ISOs? I know for download we have only one DVD or two DVDs for the different architectures. Uh, it makes not really sense to because you can download the other stuff directly from the FTP tree, so you don't have to, you don't need the whole installation tree. But if you have a box and you can buy it and you have the two DVDs in it, it's nice because you don't have to download the stuff. Okay. Uh, same thing for the boxes. We have a 32 and 64-bit version, means you can install it on a traditional PC with 32-bit. Of course, if you have a newer PC with a new AMD or Intel core processors, you can also use the 64-bit version, which is in some cases a little bit faster. If you buy the box, you have also installation support, and you have the advantage that you have a book in it uh, for the printed documentation. The book is also included in the free distribution, but only as a PDF. So it's maybe it's a little bit easier when you start. You have a printed documentation. You can go into the book and read there without hanging around the computer. Sure. Okay, you can buy the product. We have the retail box, but of course we have also free download. It's called OpenSUSE. Um, so you can download it. We changed a little bit the layout of the downloadable media. Um, for example, what we have is uh, we have a one CD installation. One CD installation means uh, you have to decide if you want KDE or GNOME because we cannot put everything on one CD. So you just decide KDE or GNOME, download one CD, and you can install from the CD a basic desktop system. And the advantages you can, during the installation, you can choose to add the online repository. So you can also, of course, install more stuff if you have the working internet connections. Right. I can just get any of those files just by selecting them from within Yast or the right. manager. And if you look at the installation workflow we have now, it's uh, pretty different because uh, the second thing, I guess, when we start installation after the language selection, um, we start configuring the network so you can really download uh, at the first time, the, the packages from the internet directly. This is also very important because of, uh, the one CD installation is, of course, only English because you cannot put all the language on it. So you can also download and select the other languages directly during the installation. 
Okay. What we will have for the 10.3, we have a new CD layout. And what we will have is a live CD. It's one CD. You can uh, decide if you want a one CD KDE installation or GNOME installation. And the nice thing is it's a live CD. So for the first time, you can try it out. Try KDE or GNOME, whatever you want. And if you like it, you can install it without downloading other stuff. So this is pretty new for us. Other distributions have it for a long time. So finally, we have it also. So that's cool. So I can actually download this CD, burn it, reboot on that CD itself. It'll auto-detect my hardware. And one, I can make sure that my hardware is supported right. by SUSE out of the box. Um, and then I can play with it. And once I like it, I just click on install and it'll start the install. Right. So the advantages we had before, we had also a live CD or DVD and an installed CD, DVD. Um, so you need only just one CD to test it and to run it, install it. Oh, very cool. What we will also have besides the one CD version, you have also add-on CDs. Uh, for example, we have a non-open source uh, CD where all the stuff is like real player and Acrobat, Reader, Flash Player, and stuff people really want, but some people only want in really uh, only open source software on it. So you can decide if you want Real Player, you can install it from the internet, or you can download the add-on CD and install it from there. Okay. Another nice thing we have now, it's a language add-on CD. Uh, there are all languages included. And maybe one thing I should mention that most of the tier one languages like English, German, Spanish, French, and stuff like that, uh, we installed before inside. Uh, we translated before in uh, Novell. Uh, we changed that. Uh, so also the community translate and help us with the tier one languages. This is pretty nice. And uh, most of the work is now done by the community. Uh, does that mean translations happen quicker when you've got the community working on it? Um, yeah, <laughs> community is actually not a 4,000 people company. And uh, yeah, it's a little bit quicker and they have a direct interface. Uh, you can directly go to other servers. Uh, we have a mailing list uh, where we discuss uh, several topics about translations. Yeah, it's a bit quicker. And I'd also imagine it's really nice to have computer people doing the actual translation. <laughs> <laughs> and at what is a computer? Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, because when you're doing straight translations, they can yeah, get the nice thing people are really interested in this stuff, so they know it anyway what is meaning of mouse or whatever in Spanish. So you can be sure that the translation is more accurate than before, yes. Sure. And what's the new USB Live install? Uh, we are working on it uh, that you have an uh, image that you can put on a USB stick. The size will be probably 2 gigabytes. So if you have a 2 gigabyte stick, it's not that big anymore today. So it's pretty cheap. Uh, you can run it directly from the USB stick. It's called live because uh, you don't have to configure the system. That means if you have a laptop here and stick it in and boot from it and you have an NVIDIA graphics card, for example, it will be configured automatically. If you have the next laptop or the next system with the ATE card, it will also work on this. So you don't have to configure the system to run it. This is pretty nice when you're on the road, you don't have your own system with you, you just have a USB stick with you, and pop it in the computer and can work with it. Oh, that's very cool. So I can just be at somebody's house or at their office, plug this right. in, reboot off the USB right. device, and I've got my SUSE up and running, configured the way that I like it, and it auto-detects the video card and everything. Right. And the nice thing is you can also write on it. So it's not really a 100% live image, so you can also make changes. Oh, so cool. If you make your home directory, your email stuff like this, you can also store it on the sticks. This is the nice thing. So it's a combination of a live CD, DVD, and of a writable media. And this is pretty, pretty nice. Yeah, what's really cool about that is um, I'm a, a note taker. I take Tomboy notes for absolutely everything. Right. So to be able to boot off of that and get to my Tomboy notes when I need something quick, that's awesome. This is a really nice idea. And uh, I wanted to buy a laptop a month ago. 
And I, of course, I tried the laptop in the shop, and I had the USB image with me. Oh, and it was cool. pretty nice. I can can really test every computer. Just plug it in, reboot the computer, and could see if everything is working. If the if the screen is nice and how fast the system is. So it's a pretty nice system. Yeah. Oh, I never thought about that. That that's awesome. When you're checking out a new machine to see before if it's I made it with the, yeah before I made it with a DVD, but DVD is much slower than a USB stick, of course. Sure, and that way you can find out whether or not they've got one of those Broadcom wireless cards in there. Or not. <laughs> right. For example, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So you see, uh, alone on the distribution side, we changed a lot of um, what will stay. We have, of course, a DVD for download, and we have also the 32-64-bit version for download and the PPC version. PPC version, maybe one thing, uh, we also support PlayStation 3 with that. Oh, cool. So if you have a PlayStation 3 and want to, to play around a little bit with Linux, uh, this is fully supported with this version. Oh, neat. Great. We've covered the install and the live uh, features what about actual updates that we've done, like new features within the product? Uh, we have a lot of new features in the product. Um, let me start. I have, I have a long, long list here. So let me start with a very annoying thing people had before with SUSE distribution. So uh, what do you want? You want to play MP3, of course. Um, we had an MP3 player. It's Banshee. But, of course, the KE guys say, yeah, it's Banshee. It's a GNOME program. Um, maybe we want to use Amarok. And we had no solution for that before. Because we have a special codec only working with several programs. What we now have, we have uh, MP3 support from uh, Fluendo, and this is over the GStreamer network uh, framework. So you can use it with all programs uh, who use uh, GStreamer, and you can play MP3 out of the box. Oh, cool. And that's actually a legal way to play MP3. Right, this is legal, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Uh, one other thing is um, when you want to play an RV movie, for example, or an MPEG movie, we cannot provide the codex because it's not legal. We don't have the rights for that. Uh, but what we made, if you click on an RV file or other movie files, uh, it will open a, a small window and say, yeah, we cannot play it because you don't have the codex installed. And it will guide you to a website. And on the website, you find solutions. For example, buy the codec by Fluendo, go to the community webpage and look if it's there and stuff like this. So for the first time, if you click on a movie, it will not open a window and show something dark without sound. So you really see the option uh, what you can do. Oh, that's cool. Wasn't that somebody's Hack Week project? I guess so, yeah, right, right, right. Oh, that, that's cool to actually see uh, something from Hack Week move over to the <laughs> distribution. That's really cool. How about on the graphics side? I assume we're going to get the new version of Compass? Yeah, we have the Compass Fusion included and uh, integration in KDE. I'm a KDE guy, of course. It's uh, much better than before. So I played a little bit with uh, Compass Fusion and it's much better integrated in KDE and it's, it's not so hard to set it up. We should mention real quick, um, Compass Fusion is actually the renaming of uh, desktop effects or XGL with the barrel plugins all pulled together on a common code base. Right, there was a fork. Uh, um, we started with a Compass project, and there was a fork called Barrel, and now they're working together again, which is a nice thing. So we have more power behind the 3D desktop acceleration stuff, and uh, hopefully it will work out, I guess so. So now it's unforked. Right, yes, and now <laughs> it's back together. <laughs> okay, what other cool things do we have? Uh, KDE 4, did it make it? Not um, right. Well, they shifted the time frame a little bit uh, two months later. So, it's, but we are we're always sure that it's not will make it the final version on the media. So, uh, we say it's a KDE four preview. If you want to play around with KDE four, it's not a problem. We have everything included, which is finished so far. 
And what we also have is we install all KDE 4 programs which are ready and run nice. We install also on the KDE 3 desktop. So for example, very easy program, KDE 4 games, these are installed by default. So every program which is runs nice is installed by default. All the core features like uh, the personal information manager, which is not that ready in KDE for other stuff, uh, will be not installed by default. But you can, if the program is available, you can also install it, yes. And I also suppose that since we've got the ability to automatically update software, as soon as KDE 4 is actually released, yeah. those updates will come down to you. We have already, we have uh, in the build service, we have a KDE project where you can get the latest KDE, for example, on my laptop. I have 10.02 running on my working laptop, and I have a much newer version installed of KDE, which we delivered. So if you want a new version, we have a community project also for KDE on the build service, so you can get all the programs there. And I guess we will make the same for KDE, yes, for. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So let's go to the Windows users we have. We have a lot of them. And um, one thing is when you install it, um, you have to go to the BIOS, you have to change the boot order. And especially if you're not really familiar with all the stuff in the computer, what's going on, it's quite hard for a beginner to, to change it. They don't even know how to go into the BIOS. And maybe they screw up something in the BIOS. So it's 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 not a good thing to do to send the user to the BIOS if possible. And now it's possible. We have a program uh, on the CD or DVD called Instlux. Uh, if you boot the DVD, uh, put the DVD into a Windows computer, you have an extra executable file. Uh, you click on it in a running Windows system. It will prepare the Windows bootloader, copy the kernel, copy all the stuff you need for installation. Then you reboot the system and it starts installation. Oh, cool. So it kind of does the magic behind the scenes so that you try so that you don't manually have to get in there and try to fix right. Windows so it can coexist. And I guess it will help many users um, not to screw up the BIOS. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. On the other hand, we have uh, also interesting for people who have a dual boot system. So they have still running uh, Windows on it. And most of the Windows installation are running nowadays with the NTFS file system. Mm -hmm. uh, we could read it for a long, long time. You can also resize it. It's not a problem, but we had no driver for writing it. So in 10.03, we have finally, we have a driver to write also to an NTFS partition. The nice thing is it's much easier to, to change files between the Linux partition and Windows partition uh, without a uh, FAT partition in between it because you have some limitations. For example, you cannot only files to up to two gigabytes, I guess, and stuff like this. And so it's much better than now. Yeah, it, as a user, who I, I have to run all operating systems because I, I play with all products that Novell writes. Uh, that's real nice because right now I've got to set aside a FAT32 partition just to copy stuff back and forth in between uh, Windows and Linux. So that'll be awesome. And try to copy the OpenSUSE DVD, for example, from one partition to another. It's not possible. Yeah, you can't I mean, you it's can, too large. <laughs> I mean, you can split it, but it's just another step of work you don't want to do Yeah. Sure. How about OpenOffice? Latest version of OpenOffice is in there, I assume? Open OpenOffice is uh, 2.3, I guess, yeah. And uh, the nice thing we have now is integration of the Microsoft File format open xml so if you have a new version of uh, microsoft office i guess 2007 uh, you can save it as open xml which is an open format but um, so it's also integrated now into open office cool we have also some smaller stuff included for example if you have a laptop with a fingerprint reader you can log in into the system just putting your finger on the fingerprint reader which is quite nice and quite easy yeah yeah, I actually use this on a daily basis, and I got to tell you, that's one of my favorite new features because, you know, just like everybody, I've got a 20 times a day 
SU into my box <laughs> to change something. And it's so nice to type in SU and then just swipe my finger. Yeah, this is pretty nice, right? The other thing that impressed me uh, about that is it's not just for the basic authentication. When you log in or when you do an SU, if you go into Yast and you need to authenticate, you swipe your finger. If you're using a different package manager like something like Smart, when you launch Smart, you can swipe your finger instead of typing in your password. And the other cool thing is it's supported. I know I've got a ThinkPad, but I know that that's the same reader that uh, Dell uses, and I think HP uses the same reader as well. They basically there are two two different uh, fingerprint readers and all laptops um, built in, and we support uh, the most of it. So um, the, there are some fingerprint readers we are not support, but we are working on it. But basically, if you have a laptop, it should work. Yeah. And, and we're actually going to have a recording where we sit down with uh, Timo from Team Mobile, and right. we'll get all the details on how the fingerprint reader works and what's supported and everything. What other enhancements have you guys done? Like, um, I heard something about it boots faster? It boots a lot of faster, yeah. So, uh, Kulu said in the previous interview, we have a theme for 10.2, it was slow booting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we thought, yeah, maybe we should improve that a little bit. And uh, no, it's much faster. Um, when you go to the news page, we have news.opensuse.org, um, you see a nice article from Francis where you can see how much, uh, how faster it is. And you see on his slides, you see it's uh, 55 versus 27 seconds. So it's a lot faster. So it's almost twice as fast in building. Yeah, and I tried it also on my system. And I have with 10.02, I have 1 minute and 10 seconds. And with 10.03, with beta 2, it was, um, I had 40 seconds. Oh, wow. Any idea what they did to make it so much faster? No. Okay. (laughs) They just turned that bit on that says whatever you were doing, doing it twice as fast. You didn't go from like a single core to a dual core in between the two, huh? No, no, no. It's the same system. No, no. It's the same system. Actually, I looked before on the news page and um, we have some F-cache thing, but I'm not sure about this. So I better don't answer the question. Yeah. And that's why you and I don't develop. We just use the stuff and talk about it. No, but if you look at the article, it's quite good explained what they do. Okay, cool. Uh, what about the new online help? The community asked us before we had, uh, when you start up the system for the first time, we had uh, OpenSUSE Greeter. Um, basically, all previous versions just say, blah, 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 thank you for installing, blah, blah, blah. Uh, don't forget to visit Novel site and blah, blah, blah. So not really content you need as a starter. So what we have done now is uh, we changed the content so you can really find uh, information in the greeter and we put an online help button on the desktop and the online help button was basically from the community and uh, they really wanted it uh, they make the content so if you click the online help button you will go to the web page a very nice web page uh, they made the design totally new today and i thought for the first time it's so nice uh, if you go to the web page, you have several options. For example, where can I find documentation? Where can I find online help? Where can I connect to the IRC server? And for IRC server, for example, if you click on it, um, you can connect directly to our IRC server on Freenode to the OpenSUSE channel, and you can get help online immediately, which is really, really nice. Oh, very cool. And I assume that also not just documentation and the IRC, that also points you to like the wikis, right? Right, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Wiki is one big point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, uh, as far as documentation goes, wiki is it. I I just absolutely love the wikis because when I read something in documentation and I don't understand it, it, it's so cool that now with a lot of documentation sitting in wiki, 
I can go and I can actually make changes, figuring right. that, you know, since I don't understand it, probably other a lot of other people are having issues with it too. Right, and sometimes it's just a small typo or something, like it's just one parameter wrong or something like that, and you figure it out, you just fix it, and the next one who go to the page don't have the error anymore, so this is really, really nice. Cool. How about Zen enhancements? Are we doing anything new with virtualization? Everything is new. Now, what <laughs> we have here is we have a latest version of Zen 3.1, And what we made in SUSE, in the OpenSUSE version, now we have a new um, graphical interface for it. Oh, cool. You know, before we had uh, the Yast installation interface, which is nice. Uh, this changed a little bit. It's, it's uh, easier now. And uh, But, for example, if you start a virtual machine, you just have a window, and you have to control it with another interface. So what we have now, you can uh, start and stop and pause the machine directly in the window. So you have a small, like VMware, you have a small... Um, control panel there where you can really control the machines. Is, is this the Vertman stuff that I've seen before? Yeah. And what we also have, uh, we have a monitor so you can see which machines are running. And the nice thing is um, it's pretty easy to find out how many CPUs they use, how many memory they use, and you can start stop the machines also with this interface. And this is new and this is coming, I guess, from the novel orchestrator. Yeah, it's a bunch of stuff that we also had in SLES 10 SP1. Right, we right. just yeah. put a bunch of the stuff there in it. for the first yeah. time. And it's really nice that we have it also now on the open product. Yeah, I, I'm a, a heavy XEN user, so I'm real excited to see this stuff in OpenSUSE. And, and it is nice to have that monitor where, uh, like you were mentioning, you can see exactly right. what CPU utilization is going on right. in that VM and all of your current running VLMs. Before, it was not that easy to see it, and it was not that nice to see it. So we have, uh, you have a command line interface where you can find out, but you can really see also the progress. If you have a machine longer running, you can see over the time how much CPU power it uses and stuff like this. So it's a very, very nice interface. Yeah, it, it's really blown me away how fast XEN has come around just in the past 12 months. I mean, right. the... The speed, the support, the Vertman GUI interface and everything, it's uh, really coming along nicely. But some people want to install Windows, and you can also ins only install Windows on a Xen machine if you have uh, hardware virtualization. So you need a new processor like the Core Duo or AMD stuff. And uh, so we have also VirtualBox included. With VirtualBox, you can include it without the hardware acceleration you need for Xen. So I, I've never seen or played with VirtualBox is pretty, pretty nice. So basically, again, it looks like VMware. <laughs> no, really. <if> <laughs> only cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> only cheaper because it's free, right? Um, when you look at the interface, it's pretty the same. So you have a list of your virtual machines you have. You can fast make a new one. Um, it's very, very easy to configure. So if you compare, for example, we had QEMU for a long time included, but you have command line only, and it's not that easy to figure out which parameters you need to, to, to run a Windows machine. So this is really, really easy. You can, in five minutes, you can install Windows without problems if you and, want. Of and, course, of other systems also, yeah. Right. And did you say that with VirtualBox, I don't have to have the... Um, extensions like the VT chipset or the um, right. Pacifica chipset? Right. Oh, cool. So this is really a, a nice alternative if you don't have a modern computer with this chipset. And um, it's pretty nice to just start the installation of some, some foreign uh, operating system, and it's really, really fast, yeah. Cool. How about KVM? Yeah, for the first time we include it because it's also included in the kernel. Uh, for KVM, we don't have a graphical interface to configure it right now, so you have a command line only interface, but It works, and it's it's a nice thing to try out how KVM is working because it's quite new. Yeah, well, that's completely unacceptable that of the three free virtualization <laughs> products we give you in the box, only two of them have GUIs right now. <laughs> right, yeah. 
But KVM is it's, it's, uh, also, I guess, um, if I remember correctly, you need also hardware acceleration. So you need a VT or Pacifica uh, system. So maybe it's easier to go with VirtualBox, at least when you start, yeah. Sure. But I wonder if it takes a performance hit because it's not able to offload that. It's all not that fast at Zen, of course, yeah. But in most cases, it's enough. And if anybody has questions on what we're talking about with XEN, we do have two dedicated episodes that go into great details on how XEN works and how to configure it. If you go to the Novell Open Audio archives, you'll see all those uh, episodes. Nice. And it's really, Xen is really worth a look. I have it running. It was not included on the distribution that I had it running. And Xen is really a blast. So it's, it's so fast. You can do so much things. With it. It's really nice. Yeah. The other thing that I really like about Xen is uh, the things like the live migration. Right, where yeah, I can, from a yeah. command line, send a VM from one machine to another with users hitting the box, and they right. don't notice. It does it barely drops a packet. Yeah, this is really nice. Send is a nice thing. Yeah. yeah, very neat stuff. Okay, that covers virtualization. What else do we have? Okay, we have some changes also on Yast. Um, the most important thing, I guess, for the GNOME users is that we have now finally a GTK interface for Yast. Oh, cool. So um, we had a, last year we had a Google project and some of code and somebody from the community made uh, the interface. We polished it a little bit, finished it, and now we have a complete YAS for GNOME users. And the other thing is um, if you install your system uh, in the 10 or 2, we had an OpenSUSE updater, and it was only available as a KDE version, so it's not really running that well with uh, GNOME. So also we have now a GNOME version of it. Oh, cool. Okay. How about package management? Guess what was the most hated thing in the last two distributions? Package management? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more specific ZMD, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Sandbox Management Demon, which is a nice thing for the enterprise users because you can distribute your updates, you can install machines and stuff like this. But if you are a home user, single user, you don't need that. And it will slow down the system. So we decided for 10.3, we dropped it totally from the distribution it's not even on the media anymore so we have now zipper and zipper is much faster than the version we had before in 10 or 2 okay and i assume it also does cool things like when i go to add something it will check to see if the copy that i've got locally right. is newer or if there's a newer copy out on the internet and it'll grab whichever makes the most sense First, it will check if, if, if uh, the two distributions or the two trees are in sync and it will only download if you have some updates on the server. And the other thing is we cache now all the stuff we store, uh, the package management. So if you just restart the package management, it will load from a cache and it's this much faster. Oh, that's great. Because to be honest with you, that's something that just absolutely used to drive yeah, me crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why, why some other package formats or package installer like Smart are so famous. And uh, yeah. but you can now we can do also everything with Zipper. Oh, cool! Uh, you also have the new one-click install, don't you? Yeah, credits go to the community to Benjamin Weber, and he made it. And the nice thing is, so if you find a program on the build service, uh, actually, it's uh, at the moment it's only integrated into the build service, but it's a free system. You can integrate it on any web page you want. If you find a program, you just click on the button, one click install, then yes will open and ask some questions if you really want and stuff like this. You have to enter the root password, of course, and then it will install it. Okay, so let me make sure that I understand this. So that means that, like, let's say there's there's a brand new browser out that I want to go grab, so I can go to a web page that supports that browser, right. do a single click, and then what it's really doing in the background is it sets up a repository to right. point to wherever uh, that application is, downloads the uh, any dependencies that might be needed, and installs the app without me having to cut and paste stuff in between Yast and whatnot. 
Yeah, when you compare it to uh, how we made it before, I mean, it was not that difficult, but you have to go to the page, you have to find out which repository the package is in you need. And maybe sometimes you have also more than one repository and then it's get really hard. So uh, what we do here is uh, we add all the needed repositories um, to the Yast installation sources and then we install the program and with all dependencies, which is also very, very important, especially for the beginner because they have no idea that Amarok, for example, needs some other files and whatever. So this is much easier than before. And the nice thing is you can also integrate it on other pages. So it's an open system. It's very well documented in the wiki. Just uh, search for one-click install. You can find it. You can make it for your own server if you offer packages. And it's very nice. Cool. In fact, uh, we've got an episode where we'll actually talk about in detail the one-click install. Right. Cool. Um, the other thing is uh, what we do, we can also add online sources during the installation. So that means uh, we main made it uh, because with the one CD installation you need probably other languages uh, you want to install more than the default desktop so you can before the installation start you can configure your network and you can add online sources uh, oh, cool. for the installation which is pretty nice because if you really know what you want you can just do it during the installation and if you come back the installation is over you have everything installed on the first time and, and that's great especially for people like you and I where you know we're reloading laptops and desktops <laughs> all the time because right. we're doing different things with them different configurations and everything and to, to be able to very easily get uh, right. additional repositories that's awesome and all the repository stuff thing, you see it with a one-click install, uh, with the build service, what we are doing there, you can see it's really going on now. So we, we make new stuff and uh, with the community together. And thanks again for the one-click install, which is the greatest improvement of all time. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, we could, yeah, we could just use that one-click purely to add an additional repository too, right? Right. Oh, that would be neat. Yeah. What is Kiwi too? You can do build. You can build images. Uh, for example, the live CD DVD we make now is Kiwi, also oh, the cool. USB image, which is pretty nice because you just have an XML configuration file, and uh, then it will build from the repositories the image you want to have. You can build USB image. You can build live image. You can build Xen images. So that's actually extremely cool. And this has been one of my big things when I look at like uh, a bank. Who, if there's a bank who's thinking about uh, rolling out Linux, you know, personally, if I was in charge of security at a bank, I probably would want something like Linux on the desktop where I've got total control over what modules are even installed on the OS. So that's cool. So I could then fairly easily build my own sub-distro of uh, OpenSUSE. Right, SUSE. exactly. That's the goal. And especially in this case, you say, I guess you can also do a totally live system so the user cannot write to a hard disk. So oh, the yeah. home directories oh, awesome. are somewhere on the server and you cannot change, you cannot alter the system, so the operating system, which is pretty nice for security. Cool. Kiwi is really nice. So, so I get you in touch with Marcos Schiefer. And yeah, we're going to do a, a yeah. dedicated thing on Kiwi. Yeah, Guy was telling me about that and he was real <laughs> excited. <laughs> no, it's pretty good. Uh, maybe one thing we should mention, uh, how can I get it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you need to do to get it? You said you can buy the retail box. You can buy the retail box, go to novelshop.com. Uh, or in Germany, you can also buy it in retail shops. And um, But you can also download it, of course. Right, because it is open source and it is free. And it's open source. And one nice thing we also made uh, a month ago, I guess, uh, we totally redesigned the download page. So if you just go to software OpenSUSE.org or download OpenSUSE.org, uh, you can find a very, very easy system to download uh, CDs, DVDs, whatever you want. 
Yeah, for the first time, I noticed it's extremely obvious what you need to click on <laughs> instead of being an eye chart that you need to figure out which one's correct. In fact, it, it's not just the download page. You guys have redone quite a bit of just the entire website, haven't you? Right. We first introduced a new splash splash page. So if you go to www.opensuse.org, you have the choice to get it, build it, or find information in the wiki. And we have a totally new design. The first page is now the download page. We have the news page with a new design. And the OpenSUSE wiki will follow. Very cool. All right. Well, Martin, thanks a lot for giving us an overview of 10.3. And what we're actually going to do is we've got over the next couple of weeks a whole bunch of individual segments that we've recorded that go into more detail on uh, some of these different things that are in 10.3. But thanks for giving us a good overview. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks to Martin Larsach for giving us the overview of OpenSUSE 10.3, but we've got more. Yeah, we do. I actually got another opportunity to do a cool interview when I was over there. Martin brought in a bunch of the key contributors and different people that work on OpenSUSE 10.3. And I've been over there myself recently, and those guys are amazing. You know, I really like both the uh, office in Nuremberg and the Prague offices. Out of all the Novell offices, those are really two of my favorite, just because the people are so cool. And not only, Prague is also a beautiful, beautiful city. Yeah, Yes, it is. I, <laughs> although, to be honest with you, I have yet to ever see Prague in the sunlight. That's because true. it's always into the office and out of the <laughs> office when it's dark out. So how many people were you talking to? I understand it was a load. I, I think it was like 15. In fact, audio quality is okay on this, but I only had four mics. So we kind of had people <laughs> shifting around as we were recording. Gave Mike, the audio guy, a handful to try to go in there and edit this. But it was nice. It gave us an opportunity to kind of hear what some of the different people are working on. So um, we get a little more specific than Martin's yeah, overview? It's not detailed. It's more they just describe to us some of the projects that they're working on, as well as they kind of talk about the history and where SUSE really came from to kind of bring those people who are new to OpenSUSE up to speed and understand how it originated. And also we talk a little bit about the numbering convention and yeah. what the next version yes. of OpenSUSE <laughs> is going to be. So let's go ahead and listen to that. Hi, this is Aaron, and today I have, oh my gosh, probably about 15 people in the room with me right now. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about just SUSE in general, get an overview of how the project started, where it's going, and uh, how we add new packages as well as several other things. Um, now, like I said, I, I've got probably 10 or 15 different people in the room. What I'd like to do is take a couple minutes and have everybody introduce themselves and give me a quick overview of what they do and what kinds of things they work on. Hi, my name is Martin Lazarsch. I work since the beginning in the OpenSUSE project. My main task is, yeah, OpenSUSE evangelist. So I talk about the project, go to exhibitions and make interviews with you, for example, go to the journalist and show what's new in OpenSUSE. And at the moment, we show, of course, what's new in OpenSUSE 10 or 3. So, so you're an evangelist, actually, uh, just like I am, which is great. Which means <laughs> we really don't do a lot of wa uh, work, actual physical work. We just kind of talk. <laughs> right. Talking is nice, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Love evangelism. So my name is Henne Vogelsang. I'm team lead here in the SUSE department. And for the OpenSUSE project, I will generally be the reminder of the external OpenSUSE community, and I also do some technical stuff like running the mailing list server. So you really just help the OpenSUSE community just in general? <laughs> just in general, yeah. Okay. 
So, all right, I'm Christoph Thiel. Uh, I joined SUSE about two and a half years ago when uh, OpenSUSE was actually founded and uh, was part of the core group that actually helped launch OpenSUSE. Uh, currently, I am one of the project managers and taking care of uh, yeah, the general release process and uh, project management related tasks. So, uh, since you're a project manager, I assume that that means that you help collect requirements from the community and decide what packages are going to be in the next release? Oh, I'm going to have a bunch of questions for you later. <laughs> Hi, I'm Michael Schröder. I'm, since when OpenSUSE started, I was in the Autobuild team, and from that perspective, I started to implement the build service with a couple of colleagues, and now I'm team lead of the build service team that was got newly created a couple of weeks ago. How long ago did the build service start? Uh, two years ago. Oh, wow, that's it? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's developing a bit slowly, but we try to speed things up. Ne? Yeah, I'm Adrian Schröter. I'm responsible for the build service and the build environment in SUSE at the moment. Before that, I handled especially the desktop. I did the desktop together with Kulo for several years. We're actually going to do a dedicated interview later talking about the build server and how people can take advantage of this build server as well as what it actually is. Hi, my name is Stefan Binner. I joined uh, SUSE development about two years ago at the time where the, when the OpenSUSE project went public. And I'm in the team which works on KDE at SUSE. And I also oversee um, the changes uh, which are done in the wikis. And uh, recently I created also a news portal site, news.opensuse.org, and contribute to the contents there. Great. Hi, I'm Kulo. I'm project manager and release manager for the distribution. And, yeah, just came back from a two-week vacation, so I have no good overview what's recently done, but uh, <laughs> Christoph took care of that. At least you remember what you work on. That's good enough. <laughs> yeah. Hi, my name is Andreas Jäger. I'm the director heading the department that is responsible for OpenSUSE and for our common code base here inside the engineering of Novell SUSE Linux. I have been responsible for, for, the, for the distribution as project manager, but now the project managers report to me. Okay. So I'm Michael. I'm the product manager for OpenSUSE, the project, the distribution, the OpenSUSE build service. I'm now for four years or so with SUSE, I started in the marketing department and became more and more technical, so I'm now pro product manager. And yeah, my tasks are to to define or suggest what go goes into the distribution, how should the pages look like, and of course, I, I try. I'm, I'm I'm a kind of the interface from the from Novel Upper Management to the community to our R and D department. And yeah, main task, of course, currently is to make the OpenSUSE project more open to, to everybody. Do the engineers hold it against you that you came from marketing? <laughs> <laughs> Some, yes. <laughs> Most don't remember anymore, I think. <laughs> well, we just reminded them. <laughs> yeah, my name is Klaas Freitag. I got recently uh, promoted to be the architect of the um, services department, which is which is hosting the build service team, and I try to uh, help with the technical base of the build service and stuff like that. My name is Cornelius Schumacher. I am a SUSE user since 1995, I think. Since uh, five years I work for SUSE, and um, some of the things I, I did for the OpenSUSE project 
for example, I was in the initial team which created the build service. And lately, I spent a lot of time um, on the guiding principles and uh, setting up a governance structure for, open, for the OpenSUSE project. Great. Now, can somebody give me just kind of an overview of the history of SUSE? So the, the history of OpenSUSE, I guess, or uh, correct me if I'm wrong, started in 94 or 92. So some guys here, are, here in, in Fürth, which is close by Nürnberg, started a... A company who distributes software, correct? Yes, I think so. And so that was the base, and they, they started, oh, one day they, they started to do a Linux dis distribution, which was now for years known as SUSE Linux something, SUSE Linux Professional, Personal, 5, 6, 7, 8. And more than two years ago, um, or prior, the then company SUSE Linux was acquired by Novell, And short after that, um, the end-user dis distribution, SUSE Linux, became OpenSUSE, and we started the OpenSUSE project um, to, yeah, with the main goals to ri rise the distribution of OpenSUSE, to reach out for more people, and, of course, to make it better possible for the community to contribute to our work, to, to the distribution itself. As prior to that, even... The Linux distribution was, by and large, created behind closed doors. So we, the OpenSUSE project wants to change this dramatically. Okay, so really the goal of OpenSUSE was to really have more of a community-based distro where we could get input and such from the community and have the community help us build the project rather than just us do it. Exactly. Great. Is there a specific philosophy behind uh Open SUSE, like, is there a goal or a mantra that we're trying to achieve? Well, domination. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But is there is there anything uh, unique about our distribution, or what really sets us apart from other distributions? I guess one reason SUSE was always good for beginners. So we have a graphical installation since a long time. We have very good laptop support and stuff like this. But as the main key point, I guess, was in the last time, it is very, very easy to install and to configure afterwards. Of course, we have also the goal to, to make everyone happy so also the developer can use the distribution. And uh, we see also from the community now what the community really needs. So this is also a benefit to make an open SUSE distribution and not just SUSE Linux, which close behind the doors to develop. So Another topic is integration. So it's easy to put several pieces of software beside each other. But the challenge is, is it to make it, to put them in such a way uh, together that they interact with each other and you can use them as a whole and get, get more out of it. And I think one of the other things that's really unique about the OpenSUSE distribution is AutoBuilder. And again, we're going to have a dedicated session on AutoBuilder, but really just the whole concept behind AutoBuilder I think has really given us a strong leg up from some of the other distributions to make sure that dependencies are straightened out and things like that with the different applications that are included in the OpenSUSE distro. And what make, makes us very open is that really everybody can come to our webpage and start immediately to create packages and providing it without any procedure or bigger workflow. So that's really easier than in any other distribution. Cool. Now, when we come up with a new uh, uh, release of OpenSUSE, do we normally pick a theme for that release um, that we're trying to achieve, or is it just collecting the latest versions of, you know, um, GUIs and the latest versions of packages and such? 
So in, in, in former time, when I used to be in marketing, yes, we, we had always a theme for, for, for the next version. So I, I remember that we had mobility as a theme, but currently, yeah, I don't know if it's good or bad. By and large, we collect the latest open source packages and we, we try to, to get better quality or an enhancement in everything. <laughs> I think also point is here that many of the low-hanging fruits, we could put a, put a motto in and put special emphasis in on the last releases, like mobility and so on, have been done. Yeah. So, so a major step in one area that will see the users is something you can't do with just one release. It, it, take, it takes a longer time. And your mottos are getting more and more specialized and somewhat esoteric. Um, yeah. UMTS support was something we tried to do with 10.3, but didn't, didn't get done in, in time. But it's something which is important for those that have it, but the percentage of users having it is rather small. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing that's changed quite a bit, and one of the reasons why we probably don't need to have heavily themed releases, actually, Lug Radio. Are you guys familiar with Lug Radio? Uh, the guys over at Lug Radio did a real interesting uh, podcast a uh, couple weeks ago talking about the five things that suck in Linux. And it was just kind of, let's say, what's bad and what needs to be fixed in Linux. And when they were talking about it, the things they were coming up with were, with my telephone, I can't go over Bluetooth to change screens when I'm giving a presentation in open office. And it was actually really neat to realize that we have fixed so many problems within Linux in the past couple of years. You know, had they done the same interview three years ago, it would have been, I can't print. I have problems, you know, with something crashing or not working perfectly. It's great that now Linux has progressed so far that the biggest problems are these real small, esoteric, you know, it's I'm having problems with Bluetooth doing this or what have you. So I think that's probably helped us quite a bit. You should try SUSE. It works in SUSE. <laughs> <laughs> I will gladly let them know that. But to be fair, we have a theme. If you look in the, if you look in the reviews, 10.1 was themed the update disaster. <laughs> <laughs> was themed, ooh, it boots so slowly. And 10.3 is themed now, oh, it's all green. So, <laughs> so we have a theme for every release. We just don't know front, uh, up front. <laughs> uh, speaking of all green, uh, it reminded me of uh, the new website. We just had major updates to the website, and i got to tell you guys, I absolutely love the new website when you hit opensusa.org. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, you really have done a, a real nice job. It's done by Robert Lieben. He will be happy to hear this. Together <laughs> with <laughs> Frank. And with the community. We made also some other updates on the web pages, what uh, Stefan Binary already said. Uh, we have the news uh, page now. Uh, we have a new download page, which is so much improved if you compare to the old download page. The old download page was basically a table of, I don't know, eight, twenty, hundred thousand columns or something like that. So you had no idea what to download. Now you just need to pick up which uh, kind of architecture I have. Do I want a DVD or CD? Uh, do I want to download BitTorrent or FTP, HTTP? So it's very, very simple for the beginner. And it was really some people complained about it. The download page really sucks, and it really sucked. Yeah, I know. I actually just went to download the latest version, and it was real nice and easy to find it for the first time, which <laughs> was a big relief. And also we made it with the community, of course. All the new stuff we made, we made with the community, we made previews. And so the design, the layout is not only from us, it's also from the community. Excellent. Well, we are the community. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about just for a minute 
how we decide to add packages and how we decide what's going to be in the next version of OpenSUSE? And actually, before that, how often do we come out with a new release? We try to stay with a release cycle of eight months. So how do we decide uh, what packages are going to be in there? I assume, obviously, we go and we grab the latest versions of packages that were in the previous release. But how do we decide that we're going to put a new version of a word processor or a paint program or what have you? At the moment, it's mostly discussed on the mailing list and in the end decided by Kulo as project manager for the distribution. For the future, we want to change this and we try to create some... Um, frameworks and, and uh, documentation, what for kind of requirements we do have for new packages. And we hope also that we get lots of more feedback from the users via the build service because we can see how people like packages, how often they use it, and so on. So we really want to get the best of the applications for our distributions via that. Okay. One thing to mention is that being part of the distribution is a very uh, fuzzy definition because we have a CD with just 800 packages, we have a DVD with 4,000 packages, we have a FTP tree with 9,000 packages, and we have the build service uh, running, which provides another 13,000 packages. Being in the distribution means nothing, basically. If you say, be in factory, be on DVD, be on CD, be in the default installation, uh, so there's there's more than being in the distribution. Can you explain what factory is real quick? Factory is the FTP tree, basically. Factory is the, the latest snapshot of, of all packages that are built within SUSE currently. But it's also, at the same time, a build service project called OpenSUSE Factory. Okay. So can I add factory as a repository then? Okay, is that set up automatically in 10.3 now, or do I have to manually go in and add factory? For the, for the, for the final release, we will make a copy of, 10, uh, of factory and call it 10.3 FTP tree. Okay. One of the biggest features of 10.3 is, by the way, the one-click installation. So you can really go to our web page, you click in your web browser on a, uh, on a link, and you get new software. And so it's less urgent that the software needs to become part of the release because you can anyway really easily install it afterwards from any repository at any time and it's the latest version, not only the version which was released when the distribution was made. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And actually, we're going to do a dedicated uh, interview talking about just the one-click install and how that all works. So we just finished 10.3. <laughs> I, I assume that means you guys are working on 10.4? Or are you working on 11? Or what's the next release going to be? Vacation first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, when you come back from vacation and you remember what your job still is. <laughs> then we will work on OpenSUSE 11.0. Okay, so uh, what's going to be the major difference? What's the reason that we're moving from the 10.x series to the 11.x? Is it going to be radical changes, or are we still defining those? Because we have four of them. Is there, when, how do we decide whether it's going to be a dot release or a... Uh... Basically, as OpenSUSE is the base of the enterprise product. Right. So, and Enterprise Server 11 will, it's not yet fixed, so the roadmap is not fixed, but it will come sometime in 08, early 09, so we go to 11. Yeah, that, that's a good point that we use OpenSUSE as the base whenever we build any of our enterprise products. And that's yes. one of the nice things is we get to use OpenSUSE and really harden things in the community and everything before we start to build the enterprise packages. The name of the version is just a name, and the name is basically...
basically random, to, to be honest. We had, we had How can it be random if it went from 10 to 11? <laughs> <laughs> it's, don't, don't, see like that, don't see it as a number. Don't see it as a number. <laughs> it's, it's a string. And we have an, uh, the set of numbers we, we base the string on just has four numbers. Basically, the open source releases don't happen in the decimal system. Yeah, they do. 10.3. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but the main point is that some software you expect that a, a change from 10.3 going to 11.0 is a bigger step than a change from 11.0 to 11.1. Um, and for us, that's, that's not true. So the next release is going to be 11.0. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And it's not always important. Yes. <laughs> And don't fail for the myth that the dot zero is not working. Um, so it's not, this is not uh, for us. So dot zero means nothing. It's not an experimental version or something. Stop like that. one for us. Yeah. <laughs> but I would expect um, KDE four ready in eleven dot zero, and I think that uh, gives us a reason for moving forward to a new major release. Excellent. Anything else you guys want to mention? Yeah, I think we we started with this uh, a year ago, and we went through the exercise of creating a document which uh, writes down the guiding principles of the OpenSUSE project, the OpenSUSE community. And uh, we came up with the document, discussed this internally, discussed it with the community, um, and got a lot of good feedback and integrated all this. And we are now um, reaching a state where, where this really becomes a finished document. And um, this document lies out uh, what OpenSUSE is, uh, what the goals of the project are, what's, uh, uh, what the values of the project are, and um, how the project is governed. So it should really provide a great base for, for the project so, so people who come from the outside better understand what the project is about and how we work and how we think and uh, what is valuable for us. Will the document, is it on just the main part of the OpenSUSE website? Yes, it's, you can al already find it. The, the latest draft is there, yeah. Oh, excellent. It's in the wiki, so yeah. I guess if you Google for OpenSUSE guiding principles, you will get it. Yeah. Cool. And, of course, input of the community is really important for that, and we got a lot of that, and we got a lot of good commands, uh, and we discussed this on the OpenSUSE project mailing list, so people are really welcome to work together on this, and it has been a great experience to, to create this and, and work together with the internal and the external people and uh, find out that we actually have common goals, common values, and uh, are a common project. Oh, that's awesome. So the community actually helped us choose and create what the guidance principles are yes absolutely cool great well guys i want to thank you a lot for uh, sitting down with me today and giving us an overview of open Sousa. Well, thanks to the OpenSUSE development team. Sounds like you had fun, Aaron. Actually, I had a blast, and I, I actually got a chance to go over to the SUSE Labs conference, you know, the one that you were supposed to go to. <laughs> I so wanted to go. Uh, um, got over there, got a chance to hang out with those guys, and actually we've made a, a recent press announcement. Uh, you mean the Greg Crowe-Hartman thing? He's working solely on driver development, yeah, third-party driver development. Go ahead, steal my thunder. No, that that's fine. Yeah, so Greg now apparently is working solely on trying to straighten out some of these driver things. So we're going to get him on the phone as soon as we can and have him discuss what his new role is. I've spent a lot of time working with Greg. He is a great guy. I'm looking forward to that. So other cool, just small geeky things. I'm a big fan of this uh, site called eMusic, which is a MP3 site that allows you to legally buy MP3s, much like iTunes, only no DRM, no funky proprietary format or anything. Great. Straight MP3s. 
Um, they actually pay the artists and everything. And what I'm so excited about is I saw this week they just officially released support for Linux. So now I can legally buy my music through a web browser, use their download manager, download it to my Linux workstation, lin- listen to it in whatever you know local player I want, whether that's Banshee, MPlayer, player. So whatever. you don't need to hack uh, a, a Windows player, a Windows downloader into your Linux host. We're talking native. A- exactly. This was one of the few reasons why I still have a very old Windows-based laptop <laughs> sitting at home just to do those one couple real irritating things, and it just has dropped it down to now I think there's only one task that I need a Windows box for, and that's to back up my BlackBerry. I have only one Windows box left, and it's very similar. One little application I just can't get rid of yet. But it gets better and better every day. Well, it's obvious there's a lot of great things coming in OpenSUSE 10.3. Thanks a lot, Aaron. Cool. And when I was in Germany, I recorded a bunch of additional interviews that get into detail on a bunch of the things that we talked to today, and we'll be trickling this content out over the next month or so. Well, that sounds good. Looking forward to that. That wraps it up for this episode of Novell Open Audio. Remember that Novell Open Audio is brought to you by Novell Users International, as well as Novell Incorporated. Most of our content is directed by our listener community, so please send us your feedback by email at openaudio at novell.com or by leaving comments on our website at novell.com slash openaudio. That's it for this time. Have a good one.